The Arts Explanatory Comma Podcast, where art meets the real world and both sides get a better understanding of the whole picture. This podcast may contain strong language and listener discretion is advised. rid of that wick site I, mean, I need you to i thought destroy. i did get rid of it oh my god Mm-mm, it's there it's yeah, right there well it was a college project oh <laughs> okay. yeah it was like um they made us all make these uh digital resumes yeah and then i think i i might have updated it a couple times when i was still in school or not in school after school to yeah. like try to apply for jobs but i mean i haven't applied for any jobs i don't terrified of having a boss it's weird but true um, it's the worst shit ever yeah, uh, well, so is being broke. So, you know, like... I, <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah, Touche. I definitely have a, a, a grind-heavy plan for 2019. But anyways, I think uh, for an intro, you know, I really identify as an independent creative and event organizer. Mm-hmm. Um, I bring people together and really operate as a bridge. Lately, I've been branding myself as a Swiss army knife for artists. You know, someone I like that, that. Yeah, I do like that. I like People that. are really loving Monique it. Would her, love she that. just did her own intro. Right yeah, there. I was just about to say, that's India Lovejoy. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. So, yeah, that, welcome. Thank How you. are you today? I'm doing good. I told you it's been a slow weekend. The holiday season is busy as an event manager. You know, you end up meeting a lot of people that host a lot of events and yeah. go to a lot of events. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, Mondays and Tuesdays are really more like my weekends than my weekends, to be honest. It's been like that pretty much this entire year. Week weekends, I know that's not really a thing, but week weekends are the best. Like yeah. midweek breaks. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's amazing. Well, that's kind of the thing because, you know, on an actual weekend when you're working on a Monday through Friday schedule, um, Saturdays and Sundays, like your moments to relax, everyone's hitting you up. When you have week weekends, Nobody's in you up like on Mondays and Tuesdays for the most part. So yeah. it's like Wednesday through Sundays are really like my like work heavy days and Mondays and Tuesdays. And you I can actually like, get shit done because like places where you need to run errands to like the bank and shit like that stay open late so you can sleep till mm-hmm. 10 and still get to the bank on time. Exactly. So, so yeah, no, it's good. I, I mean, I've, I found a schedule that works for me. You know, it's like I it's I mean, there's so many things about the way traditional work environments work that really force you to operate in a way your body doesn't want to operate you know it's like Mm -hmm. i prefer to work you know starting around like 10 going to 8 p.m or Mm -hmm. something like that or even you know it's like when i have multiple events to go to like i could be working you know a 14-hour day but i might have not have done anything until noon you know just like being there but it's how i function best like in the morning i really use take a lot of like quiet time just to be with my thoughts or whatever because i I don't know. I just don't. I don't wake up with like a ton of energy. I like. I'm a like. It's just like a slow start, but mm-hmm. then like a hard finish. Like when yeah. I start to work, like I'll just work straight. Like I don't take breaks. You yeah. know. So. So what does work look like for you? Um. Well, right now, so um, I'm working on my overall plan for 2019. But I'm working with artist um, Robert Hodge. Mm-hmm. I just did an episode with him. I saw that. Uh. So we're working on a few projects for 2019 and I'm working on setting up different contracts with other artists to provide different services to them. So basically prior to this moment in time, I had really been doing a lot of more straightforward services, just like putting art up for sale, you know, like just putting together exhibitions like so nothing really focused or individualized, but 
through the exhibitions, I tried to provide a lot of services, like just making sure that, you know, once you did a show with me, you left with materials and things and like um, different opportunities to talk about your work and to put yourself in front of collectors. So I really tried to do things like that, but that was all like very programmatic oriented. Now um, the services are, are really a lot more focused. So it's like identifying opportunities, really trying to assist artists with getting shows outside of Houston, because I think that that's something that can really help Houston artists more than anything because I think I mean I'm probably going to say a lot of things like this but the Houston art world is like a a closed loop sometimes you know it's like you can have a lot of shows and do a lot of stuff in the city but it's really hard to grow it beyond that and Mm -hmm. so I really want to focus a lot on getting more involved in projects outside of the city because Um, everything that I did with Black Buddha from the start was always designed as something that I can eventually create a template around and start to contact other like local curators and other cities and, and start to drive programming, like not really drive it, but and not sell it. I'm not really quite sure the word I want to say, but allow them to build something similar where it's like you're activating alternative mm-hmm. spaces. You're really yeah. focusing on building up collectors in a really focused way. So, um, yeah, 2019 will be a, a year for that to bring artists into other spaces outside of the city but also um some of the other things that we'll be doing are um like show management so you mm-hmm. know i saw you at culture yeah um for hodge's show that was like a really light example so hodge yeah. is actually the resident curator at culture um so i was really there as you know a support system but that's yeah. an example of the services like you know a lot of artists know how to talk about work but they don't always want to be the gallerist, the artist, the curator, you know, yeah. and everything. So it's like, for yeah. me, I come in there and I talk to people about actually collecting and that's like really my like lane. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, everything is going to be really customized, but essentially what I've created is like an a la carte menu of gallerist services. So um, you can break it down like but you, you might, for example, just want to keep me... Um, available to maybe go to a meeting with you review a document um, revise something do a simple application things like that so that could be a very small package where i'm not necessarily selling your work or representing you in an intense way yeah i'm just like a a resource almost like a subscription to something like um i can't think of a direct example but that's not the important point the prepaid legal yeah kind of yeah you know (laughs) yeah um but then it builds up from there so it's like um studio management mm-hmm. like helping you organize all your projects like and that's what i was saying before about yeah. um wanting to work with artists that already have a lot going on like you know you only need a manager when you cannot do it all on your yeah. own anymore yeah. you know a lot of people yeah. are like oh this is overwhelming and they want to get people involved but it's like really it's not that much you know there's yeah. not enough for me to really help you with um but you know for an artist like hot she has a lot of stuff going on as y'all know yeah you know so it's he like works that- on 12 projects at once mm-hmm. and Oh my god, it's crazy! All through the night too. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I just like one of the few people I know. It's like doesn't matter what time I call. And he's he's still probably up, at, up working. Yeah. He's still up at eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on? No, he, he's definitely, um, you know, someone who I really respect a lot and yeah. aspire to like really build my work ethic like that. So yeah, I mean, you know, I was saying like I'll work late, um, but when I stop working, I'm not working. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not like a workaholic to the point where it's like I don't yeah. know how to turn it off. But, um, you know, Hodge is 
I don't. Th- I'm gonna call him a workaholic, but he he, he, he like works so hard, yeah. you know, and he's always working. That's the thing. Yeah. So it's like I know how to have my moments. <laughs> and turn that off. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. not everyone's like that, and they think I'm like crazy. But it's like <laughs> someone said that to me actually, and, and it wasn't until someone else said what I'm telling you now that I was like, oh, that is true. Like <laughs> I really do know how to chill. Like, yeah. You have to. You have you to. Because there's so much going on in the daytime that it's like, okay, cool. Let me cut this off, especially in the art world, because the the you don't punch a regular clock like everyone else Mm -hmm. right even if you have a gallery where you're going in at 10 and leaving at 6 you're probably going to an event or you're going to a studio visit or some Mm -hmm. or doing paperwork like there's always something to do and there's always somebody to do it with like that's the crazy part for sure well and so i guess i i went off on a tangent you said you like those so get ready i mean people literally know me for doing that um (laughs) when it comes to other things that i do so like for example like in the last week it was um working on some framing projects and you know contracts meeting people like talking to lawyers like building systems that really like something i i seriously value in everything i do is like starting with a good foundation i'm definitely not someone that can move forward with too much loose language you know what I mean? So I like it just, just, just to be clear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like e- even if we're doing something small, it's like I definitely want a contract or I want to have like a clear conversation. It's like this yeah. is the percentage. This is what it costs. You know, like whatever it is, always like just I, yeah, I don't like loose language. So yeah. moving into 2019, a lot of my work right now is getting the foundation set for moving forward with providing these services to artists and getting like things that are built for, you know, longevity yeah. after leaving the union. You know, I was like, OK. Well, it was actually something Rick Rick Lowe had said to me. Um, he's like, you know, India, you can do what you do without a space. Mm-hmm. And and that was like, at first I was like, Rick. But Rick is always like telling me things. And it sometimes it takes a really long time before I really understand yeah. what they mean. Um, because it's like, you know, I, I when I was in the unit, I was like so dead set on trying to make yeah. it work. And I realized like I was actually doing way too much, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so when he was like, you don't need a space. I started thinking about that. It's like, yeah, you know, I could actually really be achieving so much more actually without a space. Yeah. Um, because, you know, a large part of everything I was doing um, there was intensely physical. Like, you know, like yeah. because the way everything started in the beginning, it's like I had committed to doing a show every month and then two events around that show every month. So it was basically a major event every two weeks um, wow. that all required like, you know, days of installation deinstallation and getting the materials ready together like organizing artist materials so yeah it was like intensely physical that didn't really actually allow me to provide the value that i really wanted to deliver to not only artists but collectors you know it's hard to do relationship management when you're always doing the little things you know it's like yeah you got to figure out how to make it more streamlined and so that's really where my heart is now, um, where my mind is going for the agency, just to create a base that can not be wavered yeah. on anything except for, you know, myself. And that, that to me feels good. And my artists, you know, it, it creates a space where we can really do serious work mm-hmm. and less focus on. I mean, I think that's what I was getting at about public programming. You know, it's like the public programming is, you know, accessible yeah. to a lot of people, but. Yeah. In, in in all reality, there's a lot of public programming in Houston. You know, there's yeah. a lot of moments to see art. There's a lot of people that are doing pop-up shows, opening new spaces, um, creating new moments. So what I want 
is to create meaningful interactions and focused conversations and true art collectors. So, yeah. you know, for me, moving into more private programming, focused relationships with artists, like at like genuine representation of working with them, like for me, that's a way to do something new. Well, honestly, like, you know, what we were saying, yeah. it's, it's really something people have been doing for a long time. But what what always has been kind of my focus is like, curating an audience that's dynamic yeah. diverse like across a variety of industries using networking like having a host or like a guest curator like i was doing at the union yeah those are really great because it it's like breaks that first entry like people might not have ever yeah. been to an art event before but if they know the host or if they know like one artist who is like you know, we've been homies for a long time. I know your art, but I've never really considered collecting art. You yeah. know, the, so the, yeah. I get a lot of those. Um, so I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but you're fine. So it's, I guess, so to back up a little bit, Houston does have a lot of public programming, but the problem with Houston's public programming is there's no transformative moment for people. Yeah. Right. So it like, hey, let's build your interest and then not give you any further information, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, yeah. let me show you all of this beautiful art. I'm not really going to tell you the artist's name. They're here somewhere, I think. You well, know, it's like, a party. You yeah, know, it's, it's always a party. They're all parties, It's yeah. like the wine, the art yeah. on the walls. I mean, the amount of people that are actually standing there and having discussions about art, unfortunately, is not high, yeah. you know? Um, and that's something I realized, too. It's like, I'm doing all this work, putting on an event every two weeks, sometimes, like, yeah. every other day. Like, you know, so it, it really got crazy. But the point is, is, you know, the moments where I was selling art, the moments where I was having the most, like, meaningful interactions were outside of those moments. Yeah. And that's why I was like, yeah. yeah, maybe the space is part of the problem um, to the point where the transformative moment just has to be presented in yeah. a totally different way and yeah. it, especially if that's delivered yeah. in as the intention of yeah. what you're here for you know um and less of just show up and yeah. then spend all this money on wine and some hors d'oeuvres or whatever yeah. and you know the cleanup all that it, it, it's a party that's there's the never there's never the comma which is uh, what yeah. we do right like there's mm -hmm. no there's never the comma where it's like okay let me pause for a second and see if anyone wants to interject ask these questions so that I can pour in directed information, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what the what the private events will offer for you, where someone can say, uh, India, one second, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> and you can answer those questions. You can talk to them further about the artist, about, you know, that context and content and things like that. And I think, you know, when we talked at uh, Culture, we kind of we kind of touched on the fact that, like, you and I are kind of in that same space where it's like, hey, let's figure out a way to convert these people, mm -hmm. right? To further the people that have already started, right? To further educate them so that they can keep moving forward. And then some of these people that aren't educated, let's take them and convert them into the educated and mm -hmm. move them up along the ladder and keep that going. Because, you know, again, I said this earlier, when the, when the boomers die off, like, I mean, it, so, it sounds crazy. You and Hodge's crazy. obsession with old people dying. Well, nah, but the thing is, like, <laughs> so those are the people. Order. Those are the art collectors. I know. Like, those are the art yeah. collectors, right? Yeah. And then those right below them. Mm -hmm. There's there's some 40-somethings, but usually those 40-somethings aren't regular people that understand that Yeah. it's accessible, yeah. right? So we have to change the conversation to letting people know that it's accessible, which is kind of one of the things that Hodge was saying that y'all are working on, like, introducing mm -hmm. people to art money. Yeah. yeah. Right? Introducing people to that and letting them know what that is and let them know that, hey, 
yes, this is seven thousand dollars. Yeah. But you spend seven thousand dollars on eating out when you have food at home. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like there's always a way to make it work. Well, and you know, it's really never that kind of explanation that is going to convince someone to buy artwork you know it it, yeah what i find to be the most like important thing Mm -hmm. when i'm talking to people about buying the first piece or understanding the price and value it's it's always goes back to the cycle of art you know um artists create this work it becomes part of the culture but you know a lot of stuff never gets shown never gets seen never Mm -hmm. gets bought never you know and it just kind of dies like jesse jesse lots of this to me and it was like oh i love him yeah he's he's amazing um but he's like if art's not purchased, does it exist? You know, and it's like, hmm. there, there's a lot of ans- obvious answers yeah. to that, you know, but the, the biggest reality is the collector is the preserver of the art, you yeah. know? So when you buy art, um, not only do you allow the artist to continue to create, you support their career, but you also now are entrusted with preserving this piece, which is a part of not only like our broader culture, yeah. but like this artist's yeah. legacy, you know? And so it, I, I I really like to drive home the value of just becoming a collector in general, mm-hmm. because, you know, it, when it comes to money, you're either going to do it or not. It's not necessarily yeah. about like, oh, 7,000 is like not that much. Like if you already think 7,000 is a lot, there's nothing I can really do tell you yeah. that's going to make you be like oh let me just drop the seven g's in relation to money you know i would say like yeah. well you yeah. know actually you can say 15 percent on your car insurance you know like yeah. and then you can buy this art like that that conversation never really happens yeah. it's always just about like really getting someone excited to become a part of this artist's career yeah. mm-hmm. you know and it's like that's the biggest like sales yeah. pitch that really gets people excited because it's the it emotional is draw yeah it's the yeah. emotional draw and and art is is emotional yeah. yeah and a lot of you know houston programming that that's what i'm saying i don't want to say it's like every event is a party or every opening is a party there's really beautiful exhibitions that are being put up all around the city that um you know are really just a gym and yeah. and when you know what's going on there is a lot of access but it's the way you feel in the space that mm-hmm. comes into question um but i guess what i wanted to say is like you know Art is just emotional in general, and and you you have to get people emotionally connected to it to really want to get behind it because yeah. the the reason why you buy art is because you love it, yeah. You know, and you, and you live with it for yeah. forever, and so you have to create that emotional connection off the top. Like you know, people would be more inclined to spend more money with art by hearing an artist's story, yes. attending an artist's talk sitting down with artists and just engaging in conversation like those are all things that pull on like heartstrings more than than your wallet you know because then it's like i just am so in love with this piece now it's like i'm gonna find the money like you know or i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about a payment plan or something or you know and if, if there's any kind of pushback on money it normally comes into just coming up with a plan yeah to make to make it so you can pay it you know like we'll make it happen if you want the piece like we'll make it happen but so let's back up to India's origin story. How did you first get into art? <laughs> like, she's like a as superhero. a superhero. Yeah, well, yeah. What's your origin? Yeah, but no. So like, as a child, what was your connection to art? How did you first? What's your earliest memory of it? Um. So pretty much, I don't want to say everyone in my family is an artist, but my mother is an artist. Um, uh, she's a photographer, but she painted a lot and drew a lot growing up. So we would do a lot of like art projects together, mm-hmm. but the biggest influence of art was my grandfather who um was 
you know, a total Rolling Stone. Um, <laughs> like I have, you know, 10 aunts and uncles that all like have different origin stories. Um, <laughs> you know, but he, he was just an artist, a real free spirit, a musician. Um, and, and he introduced all of them to art. So it's like my aunt Natalie, who, um, was actually one of the early, she was an artist in one of the early rounds at Project Row Houses, like in the nineties, oh, wow. you know? Um, so there's kind of like a cool parallel to the fact that it's like, she was in Houston in third yeah. war, like creating art in the nineties. And now I'm here, like, you know, two decades later doing yeah. the same thing, That's like really in cool. starting in the, that same place. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so it, it was really just across my family. You know, I, I saw my mom make art and be creative. My grandfather taught me how to draw, um my my aunts were always making work you know our whole family our our house was full of art that had been made by my relatives and um that was really it in the beginning you know I studied a bit management like I said so I didn't study art I tried to take an art history class but it was like (laughs) oh my goodness this is like painful like, you know, so yeah. it, that wasn't really my interest. And I think um, you'll realize even just throughout our conversation that a lot of my language about art and engaging with art is rarely super um, formal to the sense yeah. that, you know, when that's why it's like it's easy for me to sell art talking about emotion than it is to say, like, you yeah. know, this dates back to the prehistoric whatever, yeah. you know, prehistoric with art. So stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you, you know, I, I don't have conversations like yeah. that. And that's also what makes it like really approachable. But mm-hmm. yeah, so family was my first introduction when I came to Houston. Um, my aunt introduced me to Rick. And um, that's got to be awesome. Yeah, it it was (laughs) awesome. I mean, I didn't really know anything about Rick or Project Rojas is like going into. I mean, I think I like Googled it like him like 10 minutes before I met him. But it was like right after he had won the MacArthur or maybe just a couple months after. And, um, you know, I was just talking to him. But I've always been like a really passionate person, just like as I talk about like my vision for myself and like what I want to do, especially when it comes to Houston. You know, I really do love the city because it's been the warmest embrace for me truly yeah um and you know so i i talked to rick and i told him like i just really would like to work for a nonprofit. i don't feel that same way now but um <laughs> you know i i wanted many, i really wanted to work don't. for a nonprofit. yeah my whole life actually um i always had like a lot of like I don't know the right way to put it, but yeah, I always want to work for a nonprofit. I always love doing like volunteer and charity work and stuff. And so that was really in my head strongly. So I told him that and I, you know, said I was interested in the arts. It'd be cool if it was in the arts, but I didn't have any particular preference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we met like, I think like two times after that. And then it was funny because he did recommend me to some jobs and um one of which was like at the manil and i was like oh this is gonna be crazy but then he was like you know what i don't know what i'm doing like why am i sending good talent to other places like and he hired me and that's how i started at project row houses but it was really cool because you know um that that opportunity ended up changing my life truly you know um it was my first introduction to the arts world in houston it was my first introduction to art really Honestly, you know, it's like yeah. I had seen a lot of art. I appreciated art, but I didn't know art. Yeah. Um, and so the Collectors Club was Rick's idea to connect artists from Project Row Houses that had shown there throughout the years, yeah. like, um, which was over five, 400, sorry, 
um, are around 400. I don't know the exact number. Not important. Um, <laughs> to, 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 to bring them back to yeah. Project Row Houses mm-hmm. is a way to help them like create some sustainability throughout their practice. So, And then also as a fundraiser for the organization. Yeah. So um, that's how I started. And it was like kind of crazy because, you know, my job was the collector's club coordinator. The program didn't exist. I like Rick gave me a one sheet document. Um, and it was just like his ideas, you know? And so yeah. I just did a bunch of research. I looked at a lot of programs that existed. I mean, there was several collectors clubs that existed in a variety of different institutions. Yeah. I actually saw that today. Like there are a lot of different cities that have their collectors clubs. And there are a few, like I think in Chicago, there's like three or four different collectors clubs, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, there's three or four in Houston as well. Really? Um, uh, you know, it's funny what I was saying. I got a call from them in like three weeks after I started Project Row House and they're like, we'd love to sit down with you. I was like, hmm, what would my life have been? You know, it's like every, yeah. I feel like everything would yeah. be different, um, but maybe not. I also am definitely a believer in like d- destiny, maybe like, you know, there's yeah. a thousand different ways to get there, but you're going where you're supposed to yeah. be, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely have like faith and it can be hard, like we were talking about my name and it's like, I think about that. It's like, yeah. I feel like I am supposed to do something yeah. and I'm patient waiting for that thing to happen and reveal itself to me. But all in the meantime, I have a strong notion of what I need yeah. to do right now. Um, and I think it's all leading down the same road. So whether I started the Manil or not, or project row houses, I think I, my relationship with yeah. art would have always been the same. So yeah. I started, um, and this is actually, the origin story of my relationship with artists. I started off by interviewing artists to build that program. So I sat down with, um, with a, with, I mean, a, a few different artists like, um, William Cordova, um, Nathaniel Donay, Andre Matoy, like, um, Robert Hodge, you know, and all of them at this, at that time were working on site at mm-hmm. Project Row Houses. And so, you know, you know, like me at 23 with this, like, 13 page document about art collecting. I've like never sold a piece, like don't really know anything, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. just like forcing them to sit down and like go through every last detail with me. Um, those moments allowed me to understand what artists need and what artists want and are looking for and what they feel is the worst part about art collecting in general and what was the biggest kind of barriers between the artist and collector relationship. Um, so, you know, those interviews in Jesse lot, you know, I, but Jesse, I mean, he has such a big brain. He does. That when you're trying <laughs> to talk about programming, like, you know, you'll start at A and he'll be like, but have you considered what happens when you mix X and Z? Like, you know, like yeah. way, like light years ahead of you. So there's a lot of things that he told me then that are still kind of riddles mm-hmm. in my mind, like trying to really understand what they mean. Um, for, for me, I think that, you know, Jesse's like one of those people that can probably see the future. So it's like when he's like talking to me, you it's know, I'm crazy like, that you said yeah. that. So I did the project row house bus tour and it was, uh, back in June of 2018 and they went to see Jesse Lott studio. And while he was doing his tacos, like, I feel like he's either been here before or he's been here for a much <laughs> longer time or he can see that like, there's something very yeah. magical about the way he mm-hmm. talks and his vision. It's very vivid. And it's like, Hmm. I know we're supposed to be learning about him, but it felt more introspective. Like everything that he said made you kind of go inside yourself and think, what is he actually saying? Not that you didn't understand him, but the way he, he kind of talks and not mm. riddles to 
He makes you really uh, reflective. I guess that's the way to say yeah. it. So when you said it's like he can see into the future, I was like, I had the same feeling when I met him. <laughs> no, a, a totally <laughs> magical though. person. I still haven't had the pleasure. I still haven't we'll had have to fix that. Well, you know, someone said this to me. Like, I, I never ever thought Jesse was like crazy, but you know, he's he's got like he's like got this whole thing going on. And I think if you don't know like the level at which he's thinking, yeah, it can go over your head to the point where it's like, what's he, what's he saying? But it's like Jesse never forgets. Like he's insanely intelligent, so it's like the riddles or whatever. Like you have to remember, you when know. When you're talented, it's, like, it's eccentric. Yeah, when you're not talented, it's it's crazy. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah, Yeah, he's just he's just from a different place, you know. Um, he has a total a deeper connection to to life, I think, than most of us will ever experience. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, I have a lot of respect for Jesse and and Project Row Houses and Rick and you know all the people that really guided me through my relationship with art. Yeah. Um, the whole the whole thing, you know, I ended up leaving because um. You know, this is the nonprofit thing that I realized uh, positions always turn into more positions, you know, um, and like yeah. fold over and stuff. And so, you know, towards the end of my time there, I just wasn't working with art in the way that I really had the strongest desire mm-hmm. to. Um, and and like I had said, I had conceptualized Black Buddha way before everything. Yeah. Um, and so I really came to Houston with the intention of starting my own business. That was yeah. always the plan. Um, but then when I got that job, I was like, amazing. But I I think every time I've come to Houston, I came with like less than $2,000. And so I was just like, let's see how long I can live before I get a job, you know? Um, so I think like right when I got hired, I had like maybe $0, like, you know? And so it was like perfect. And, and, you know, there, there's no better way that everything could have happened because every experience that I got from being there really built me into who I am right now, but who, who I feel like. I was always going to become like, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like hard experiences for me have always translated to growth and it should be that way for everyone. But you know, a lot of people can become like very personally victimized. And I think I went through that maybe a little bit this fall, like just feeling like, damn, you know, like, like everything's kind of like the bottom's kind of falling out of everything and you're just trying to pick it back up. Yeah. Well, it was just like, I just worked so hard and it's like, you know, I chose to leave the union. Yeah. Um, but it was because of a lot of those things, like first and foremost, it was super expensive for me, um, doing all that public yeah. programming, dedicating so much time to it. Um, cause it was an experimental agreement, which is great. They're still operating. Um, and that's that. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me leaving, I was just like, I, how much energy can you dedicate to something to still see like no result? And that was like the, the negative voice, you know, mm-hmm. but with time, I was like, you yeah. know what, actually, that was so blessed because look at how many things I can do now that I couldn't do yeah. seven months ago. Yeah. You know, like, look at all these connections that I made. Like, look at these seven articles that were written about me and my work, you know, yeah. in just a short amount of time, yeah. you know, and that's something that you can't buy. Yeah. You know, that's something that you can't like, you know, it wouldn't have been better had had, you know, had I just had more money to keep pouring yeah. into this thing that was fundamentally flawed the the setup of of the nature of the union was not right for my practice and that's you know where i left it um but i i grew so much and and it was a layer of experiences that felt really good as they were happening you know to to put on those shows like of that caliber like the the mama show that we did it was the second show my brother was actually at that show 
yeah, yeah. Noel Mulder like was such an amazing artist like Rebea was you know someone who worked <laughs> so funny so Rebea and Hodge you know they used to share a studio and mm -hmm. like um well it was a joint space but separate rooms yeah, yeah. you know um Hodge's studio was always crazy like mm -hmm. stuff everywhere Rebea's studio step over is beyond organized yeah. yes. I literally think she has like a mat on the floor when you walk in that says organize <laughs> But you know, I so it's like, yeah, it. I was gonna say, yeah. we interviewed Rebea in her studio. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, you know, working with her um, for the Mama Show, she brought together this like great selection of six women. And um, like I said, Noelle, she installed these like upside down trees and all these chairs. And, yeah, I, and I was like, wow, this is great because I, not only am I seeing how Rebea works, which is extremely diligent, organized, like, you know, she has a folder with your name on it before you've even like had a discussion, you know, because that's how like, how she works in her practice. So being able to work with artists as curators, with artists as, you know, installers, installation yeah. work, like all these experiences, like that was so beautiful. And now I have not only like a lot of content, I have like four really great shows under my belt um, just in a short amount of time, which, you know, is a lot. Like I am 26 and it's like weird because I just want everything to happen really fast. Yeah. I'm learning to be a lot more patient with that, but um, it comes. It comes with age. We, yeah, Rodea yeah. actually, yeah, <laughs> so we, she did say that. Yeah, because I, you know, for me at 36, and this is exactly what I said to Rodea. For me at 36, I feel like I should have my shit together, and then she's like, "Well, you know, at 45, you would think I have my shit together." Like, it's, so mm -hmm. it's it's a thing that you learn every time you hit these these milestones in age. You're like, damn. I gotta get this shit together. And then like the next year you settle into that relation, that, that realization that it's like, okay, all right, it's going to take a little bit more time. Right. But that's, yeah. that's what good things do. Like good yeah. things take time. You have to cultivate them. You have to make sure that, that you're giving it the attention. It's almost like being hazed by the universe, really. Like, <laughs> wow. You know what I'm saying? Like when you think about that shit, like, yo, that was my entire 2018. Well, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yes. Like for myself, and I think I've given bits and pieces of the story, but like for me to be at 36, starting to really just be like, okay, fuck working with other people on their shit. It's my shit. <laughs> if you want to get down with the shit that I'm doing, come on, right? And it took so much, so much going through that. Like businesses with friends, businesses with people that, like acquaintances, acquaintances that I met, being hired on for people's companies at their as their marketer, and then them not really wanting to do what they say they want to. Like it's all of that, and then now, twelve years later. You know, from when I was 24 and I was like, oh, okay, well, I want to be, I want to be in finance. I want to be a lawyer. I want to do this. I want to do that. Like going through all this different shit and it's like, man, you ain't want to do none of that shit. <laughs> Honestly, my relationship with collaborative projects is mixed reviews, you know, because I think on one side, certain collaborations yeah. are just distractions, really. Like, you know, um, it's really a toss up on whether or not they're going to generate yeah. income because, you know, it's like the first time when you're working with someone, you don't know their practice. So it's like on one hand, I can have like a really great like Rebea or Hodge experience where these are two people that like really work. They have totally yeah. different work ethics and how they do it, but they really, really work. Yeah. You know, those are great examples of like 
a collaborative yeah. project. You that, never have to be like, hey, guys, what are you doing? Like, yeah. What the fuck you mean? Um, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, so the union uh, was supposed to also be a space for music, but m- music programming is a lot harder because um, it requires a lot more equipment mm-hmm. and just like musicians work a lot different Insurance than visual artists. Different. Everything is different. <laughs> um, you know, so I did a couple music events that were really great. Others not so much. Um, but one of them that someone who's really opened my eyes up to like the nature of collaboration and how it can really expand and grow is like my really good friend Amy Mueller who does Bounce and Turn. They're like these monthly Houston rap parties or yeah. Southern rap, I should say. But they're, it's always like for the most part Houston artists. I mean, she'd probably kick me. I think they're all Houston artists. Let me just not misspeak. Um, <laughs> but they're they're great, and she's always working with new people, like always trying to connect people. And she, I mean, it's weird. I wonder if like she understands she's really starting a label right now. Amy's like going to hear this, be like, India, don't say that. But you know, it's like she she's really built up a lot of musicians and giving them opportunities to perform in all these different alternative spaces. So really like what I do with alternative spaces and art and bringing people together, like that's what Amy's doing with Southern rap. And it's like so funny, you know, because like Amy's just the homie, like everyone loves her. It's like so funny. She like, I think like three people have gotten a tattoo like of her logo or something. Like, I don't know, like Amy's like an amazing person. Um, so that's like my little <laughs> shout out for Amy. Um, but you know, she's always working with new people and bringing people together. And that's like always her focus. Like she's the kind of person where it's like you give her a project, she knows exactly the right set of people. Like the yeah. same way an artist would, or sorry, a curator would get together a group of artists for an exhibition. That's how she really thinks about events and music and spaces. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really cool. So I want to become more like that. But right now in my practice, I feel like a lot of the, collaborations are distractions um yeah. so it was great doing those events with amy because she's also someone who has like great work ethic um and the union was a good space to do collaborative music events but like now it wouldn't really make sense for me to get involved in something like that because it's like i have a totally different mission so yeah. i yeah I, cl- collaborations are hard because it's just like what i i just need you know what i was saying yeah. like i i need clear language and so if there's no clear sentence to like why we should work together you know, a lot of people are yeah. always like, oh, let's have a meeting. You're like, we should work. And my first question is like, on what? You know, like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Because yeah. it's just like, you're telling me you're doing this and I'm doing this. And it's just like, why do you, what do you want to work together? I don't yeah. see the vision. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, That's and funny. I can be kind of like hardcore with that conversation too. Mm-hmm. Because it's just yeah. like, why? I No, I'm not going to sit down and spend like three hours talking about something that's not going to build well, but you Anything know, that's, like, that's like a cultural thing that people just say now. Hey, bro, let's get together and collab. Yeah. What oh the fuck? God. We're not even in the same industry. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, that's how people say bye. No. All right, bro, let's link. Hey, We're going to work, bro. Yeah. The fuck, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like, it makes no sense. Or people want to get together and work with people that they like. Yeah. Right. And that's a big issue. And I remember like Ugh. dealing with that issue a lot. People, hey, man, like, you're real cool, man. Let's do some business. And it's like, what kind of business? All <laughs> right. Let's talk about it first. Mm-hmm. You know, but of course, we all make those mistakes. Yeah. Like, it, you got to learn, right? Like, yeah. you have to learn, like, oh, shit. I need to hit you with these tough questions first. Yeah. To save me the time, the money, the headache. And all of that. 
So it's, I mean. Well, and, and something else, you know, as a young woman, yeah. those like oh. collab meetings are like dates, you yeah, know? And it's like, like <laughs> it only takes like one of those to be like, no, yes. like I can't sit down with you unless you're talking about like, paying me for something or generating income for me in some type of a yes. way because it's like I can't do a collaborative event that's just for for the culture you yeah. know even though we or did we did collective for the culture but yeah. that was still about money yeah. like collective for the culture was like invest into the culture that's yeah. what that exhibition was about and we actually are working on another one for next year that i'm really excited about too yeah but um yeah no that whole Pe- yeah, people collaboration really just love that's your time. like i feel like I can't fuck with the vision if I don't know what the vision is. So I need you to give me details. But that's the same shit that leads to captions like, hey, man, saw big bro. We're going to work. The fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> people just saying shit just to say shit because it sounds cool. Yeah. And I mentioned this last <laughs> I mentioned this a while back. But it's like when people were walking around with a business card that says CEO or creative and director. Works. And it's just one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just one. You're not working with anybody else. You just at home on Photoshop. Like that shit, that doesn't make you a creative director. That's not knocking your hustle. It's yeah, just it's not knocking your hustle. It. Yeah, but also it's like, hey, evaluate what the fuck you're actually doing. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to, you have to evaluate yourself in that same way. If you're not evaluating yourself in that way, you're never going to be able to grow, right? Well, and that's the other thing with artists. That's one of the biggest things is artists will approach me and under the guise of like you know less work whatever and then the pitch ends up being you wanna you just want me to sell your work you know what i mean like this is not a collab like your collab idea is literally what i'm already doing Mm -hmm. with you being a part of it and getting some kind of a credit but you know it's like everyone i work with has been asked to work with me not the reverse you know so i had a lot of artists that would just like approach me and be like oh you know like you should sell my work blah 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 and it's like they don't ever want to have a conversation to like find out what I do but beyond that you know it's like I would also have artists I would the in the early stages you know I would take the meetings and they're like oh yeah I'm working on this this and this and and I'm like oh, okay well show me your work five pieces you know like literally yeah. your whole inventory is five pieces each one of the pieces look different you don't even know what kind of artist you are yet you know and you're sitting down with me talking about stuff like do you understand the even the magnitude of the artists that are that I am working with, yeah. you know, it's like you're not even taking into account what I'm doing. You you just like kind of see this brand, you see this space, or you know, you just want to do cool shit. Yeah. So, yeah. So for the artists that are listening, what advice do you have to them when they want to approach the Swiss Army knife for artists type of <laughs> um, creative agencies? Like, what should they have, or what what are the things they should be working on before they take their art to the next level where they can engage people like you? Uh, well, see, now it's different, right? So what I was talking about, like that a la carte service mm-hmm. provision system, that's way too complicated. I'm going to clean that up. Um, but that is now it's designed for you to get in where you fit in, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's not as intense as it was. But like at the union, you know, we're I can't do shows with 15 artists. It's just way too much. Just coordination you know so it's like the six artists that were getting selected were getting selected for a reason so i think it it was just like it's like you know asking to be put in a show with before we have zero relationship you know and so i think it was more mm. about that like and now i'm not doing shows like that mm-hmm. right so there's a totally different route to getting into one of these events that i'll put together yeah. but they'll be mostly artists that i've signed and are yeah. like 
permanently represented, which mm-hmm. even that's going to be a very set list. But there's still a variety of other like little services that I can provide. Like, you know, artists need CVs and bios and like documentation, like help with their language. So certain things like that. It doesn't really matter what part of your practice you're in. You know, those are more like cut and dry services. But I think whenever you're approaching curators, galleries, whatever, I mean, I I know it can't just be me because, you know, someone finds out that I sell art and they're like, oh, look at my sister. Like she just graduated. She she draws great. You know, like rodeo art. Yeah, and it's not even that the art is bad or whatever. But that was shady. No, I'm, no, 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 no. It's not that. I'm not saying like it's only art of rodeos. What I'm saying is it's like a high school student mm-hmm. who's yes, they're technically talented, right? But they don't have any voice. But they're working, honestly, saying shit. It like, wasn't even that. I mean, these would be like full blown adults that either like just started making work yeah. or they've been casually making work, you know. But they've never had a show. You know, so I think as an artist, like whether you're just starting or you're somewhere in your practice and you're looking how to advance it, the best thing you can do is just do research on mm-hmm. where you want to go. Like, you know, Rebea said this to me and I was like, that is so good. It's like she said, what you need to do is think about long after you're gone, where you want your art to be. Yeah. Like, which spaces do you want your art to be in? Find those artists. Look at their trajectory. Like, where did they start? Where did they go? Mm-hmm. It's like you need to have a stronger understanding of how artists get into the spaces that they're in. Yeah. You know, because it's not all handshake, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. these are my homies. I mean, in, in a sense, you know, it's like Hodges, my colleague, but also a homie. Rebea, like, you yeah. know, I, like, I love them yeah. because I've worked with them so much. Like, they are definitely my friends. But the reason I work with them is not because they're my friends, yeah. you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and when I've tried to actually work with my friends, we have so many differences and it, it puts the friendship at yeah. on the line. And I and I hated that so much. Um, so it's great when you have a good relationship with an artist that also yeah. can become a friend. But it, it always started yeah. like under the guise of like work and pushing the mission yeah. forward. Um, but yeah, so just do research on how how, how to get there. Because that's really all it comes down to. It's like if you just give yourself a little bit of context, you will be surprised at how much of an advantage you have. Because, I mean, there's really a lot of artists out here just floating, you know, and they don't even understand. It's like if I show my work in this space, what does that mean? Yeah. What other artists are being shown? Like what happens when an artist has a show here? What happens next in their career? Because it's like some shows, you know, maybe you'll sell a piece, maybe you won't. But it also maybe might not mean a damn thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I think artists, younger artists and artists that are trying to establish themselves need to understand that like this ain't like this isn't like other situations. Art's not like other situations. It's a very interesting world. Like you mm-hmm. can't you can't run up to somebody and say, Hey, help me sell my shit. You have to run up to somebody and say, Hey, I'm an artist. I'm trying to be where you are. Would you mind looking at my work and maybe critiquing it? Like you have to start yeah. with that small ask. That's what and I'm then saying. if they're like, yo, that shit is dope. You're on to something, mm-hmm. right? You're on to something. Let me see how this looks after you have four or five pieces in this same thing. Right. Cause what'll happen is like you said, uh, an artist that has five pieces, right? You'll go into the studio and Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Like you go into the studio or they bring the work to you. You see the five pieces. You point out the piece that looks like it has the most promise or is going in the best direction. That could be technically, that could be voice. Usually it's a little bit of both, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's like, hey, I need to see more of this. 
I need to see how this develops because anybody that's ever done a series of anything, right? You have to understand how it's going to grow and change and shift. And there are all these curves and things like that. So you have to be mindful of that as a young artist, that this series is going to start to morph as you do things. Right. And then after you get four or five pieces in that same collection, then you bring it back and say, Hey, this is what I've done. Right. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you build, right? Like, okay, you could do this. You could do this. Hmm. I see where you're going. You should look at this artist. And I'm saying this from experience. It's the same things that Hodge just told me, the same things that Rebea have told me when they've looked at work that work that I've created. Right. And once that happens, then it's like, okay, cool. Now you go do your own research on artists that look like you. If you are a figurative painter go look at figurative painters if you're an abstract painter go look at abstract painters right if you're an expressionist go look at expressionists like you have to figure out how to do those things how to build these things for yourself just like if you were making beats you'd probably go on youtube and research some shit go listen to some timbaland go listen to some whoever right you have to have industry knowledge and here's Mm -hmm. like my whole motto it's like career creatives only like i do not have time for hobbyists because this is not a hobby for me you know and so it's like i need someone that's like serious about their practice and at the end of the day you know you just like the soft ass that you're talking about happened literally one time out of that whole seven months in the hard ass where it's like (laughs) i'm hosting an event trying to talk to a collector and they're like my work would look great in this space you know here's my card it's like i'm not gonna call you yeah you know ask for my information and send me stuff but it's like i have no like i'm not this is not an open call for artists right now yeah Yeah. you know it's like i don't understand what you think how things work but i think the one trend that i've noticed a lot is you know artists are still like really obsessed with like the Basquiat model or like artists that kind of just like are really free will and and it just pops off like someone makes them it's like you know Shit don't work like that yeah exactly and or even like a Justin Bieber model like that's not in the art yeah. world but you know it's like it, it starts off with one video and then you blow all the way yeah. up mm-hmm. you know and it's all real self-made yeah. and you did you know it doesn't really work like that and even with like self-taught artists that didn't receive a formal education because that's really where you go to understand creating bodies of work being able to receive critical analysis like if you don't understand what you're missing out on but you just like you know you're making great work it's about the research you can you can learn a lot without having to go to school um but you have to be willing to learn and understand that when i say a career creative that doesn't mean that you paint 40 hours a week you know it means that you are dedicated to always creating but beyond that you know you're researching your industry you're staying at the top of the game you know who's getting shows in the city you know who has like good collectors like you should be involved in the arts community and i think that that is something that a lot of artists don't do i mean i i see a lot of artists go to shows but as far as like the critical analysis of what's happening that's what i'm that's what i'm talking about because it's like a lot of artists are asking me for things don't know what i do at all don't know what the space they're in is they just see art on the wall and they want that you know it's like it like kind of can be blinding so yeah it's about just having respect for the process and the artist you know it's like for an artist like Hodge who works so hard like on seemingly endlessly you know like you can't just like instantly compare yourself to him because it's like you don't even understand like the depth of his resume 
and like how long he's really been in the game doing this but you're like oh you know i make kind of like urban street art or whatever and that's not how i'm describing hodge's work yeah. but you know they might see like parallels in like a, the hip-hop culture and like playing with music yeah and it's like even if your work looks good you still yeah. are not the same because like yeah. aesthetically they look the same like art the art world is about pretty much everything outside of the the four corners the of, context of, 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 the of, of the art yeah. work mm-hmm. itself you know it's like it, there's the career there's the education there's all the shows it's your experience yeah. and it's also goes back to like how do you produce bodies of work how do you explore concept yeah. you know it's like even if there's like kind of stylistic parallels between all of your work if you've never created a series or a body like you know i really question your ability to deliver a a story yeah. you know like it there should be a beginning and end in my mind um or i guess really i you know i my all my experience i am i don't want to say self-taught because a lot of like i said a lot of those artists like taught yeah. me this jesse you know rick like those people really spent a lot of time yeah helping develop my like ideology behind like how i engage with artwork and artists but um you know the artwork that i'm attracted to the most the artists that i'm like most drawn to are the ones that can explore a concept can put together a yeah. solo show that yeah. you know don't have just like random pieces and everything is more or less loosely exploring yeah. the same concept or it's always the same style it's like what's the story you're trying to yeah. tell and then you should know when that story is over and what's your next story you know it's like yeah. artists can really i think relate maybe to writers in that sense it's like there should be chapters yeah you know there can be volumes or whatever but if it's just one run on sentence you know aka the same work a hundred yeah. different ways mm-hmm. or um well that's work for some people it is you know it is <laughs> but the, the the amount of people that 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 has worked for in the lineage of art making not very many so yeah that's like, what i'm saying and that's you yeah. know that's when someone had gave me that advice like stop trying to recreate the wheel india and see how that changes things for you you know it's like sometimes it's not always about always creating new models always creating new like dynamic programming sometimes it's just about how you execute that really can create like the biggest difference behind the outcome and so you know it's like when it comes to artists like the the model of creating bodies of work and you know pursuing shows and places that have a history of like supporting artists and you know have a long show history Mm -hmm. um that that's how you get ahead you know it's like just understand what you're going up against if you want to do things different you you really should be familiar with the traditional ways of doing it just so you have you know a competitive advantage of your counterparts so you know yeah and that's it's funny because and you mind if i use our kia skiro uh example why would i mind okay i'm just i don't know what i don't i don't know the reference point okay well so (laughs) So I might we, tell you to cut it later. <laughs> <laughs> so Raquel is, how would you describe yourself today? I'm I feel a, like it's different every time. First of all, it's not. It is. I'm an art enthusiast. My yes. and I feel well. I've said yeah. it throughout the show, but my goal with being on the podcast is I want to be an art collector, or a serious one, or a formal art collector. I've been collecting, but kind of I like this. I think there's going to be value, and so I'm. What am I? No, my, oh, no. so my goal is to learn more about it so that I can be an informed art collector and know mm-hmm. what to look for. And maybe this is a bit yeah. too ambitious, but later down the road, saying 
I, I saw the vision early and I have that collection yeah. that where I'm driving the conversation of what has more values. That might yeah. be too ambitious, but mm-hmm. that's, so, that's where I am. <laughs> so, so with that, like her for like her formal education in art is what AP art history. That's to the extent of it. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. AP art history in high school. Right. So uh, I took it in college too. So sorry. My bad. Just Anywho. <laughs> um, but some information right but not a whole lot of formal information so there are questions that she asked we call them the dumb art questions just you know because it's funny uh (laughs) but she asked me after looking at uh donald coral's work i'm not sure if you know donald coral okay uh she's a figurative painter uh from she lives in austin currently her work is oh yes wait she was in the mama show right yes she was okay what? Or was it the one after that? Maybe it was collected for the culture. Damn, I think it was collected for the culture. It was collected for the culture. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, I only said yes yeah. because it was. Okay, like, it was I had to think about that for a second. I was like, wait. I feel it like was the way that. you pronounced your name. I like. I just didn't hear oh. it right. That was all. Okay. But no, yeah, I do know Don. I was like, wait, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She's great work. I yeah. love her. Those colors, like beautiful, yes. powerful. It's the it's the and. God damn. Like, Kidada? No, it's not even that. I am obsessed with Kidada. I am. But it's not even that. It's just like the, the, so there's this interesting contrast that's not necessarily contrast, right? But it's, there's the different, the shift between those vibrant colors in the background mm-hmm. and then the muted palette of those black bodies. Yeah. Right. And then the heavy, heavy contrast of those bodies like that's crazy right mm-hmm. so we were talking about that and i made a mention of the word kioskiro right or for those people that really want to be pompous kioskiro whatever the fuck anyway uh, but yeah so um oh now i know where you're going yeah, with yeah, this yeah. yes i'm yeah. fine with you going <laughs> raquel sent like examples asking like just for clarification right and they were all from paintings of african-american artists right mm-hmm. so predominantly black folk and i sent back like caravaggio and shit like that just so it's like okay you know what it looks like in both contexts yeah. so that way this art dick over here isn't like uh, i wouldn't exactly mention that mm-hmm. i would more so talk about holvernus like get the mm-hmm. fuck out of here like it's the Ar- same I thought shit mark was trying to mansplain <laughs> it to me and i was like i fucking know what that was i was looking for examples in yeah, her yeah. artwork of it yeah, yeah. so we had yeah. like a moment but yeah. yeah she 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 damn near had a heart attack because my actual text my words were delayed a little bit yeah. so it was like she got the image like are you trying to fucking play me but no it's just like it's just like i think as much as i don't like i teach a pretty much like i teach with an anchor artist right so our anchor artist in my classrooms is usually like so say we're talking about uh abstract art right my anchor artist will be jackson pollock so it's like okay if you need to talk about this shit with somebody else Mm -hmm. and that's the shit that they know cool whatever but the artist that will really study is basquiat right so it's more abstract expressionist and then we start going there and then we go we take a left turn and we go to wilfredo lamb which is more cubist but there is an abstract element to it like all of these different things um so it's like i don't i honestly don't give a fuck about (laughs) about a lot of just really really like 
quote unquote classical work, which is really just quote unquote. Well, it's really just white work. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm not not really interested in that shit. <laughs> I'm not interested in the Eurocentric shit. Right. Well, and that was the thing. It's like when you go into an art history class, in like a white institution you know you're not even that that's why i was like i i dropped out after two weeks because i was like this is not what i thought it would be at all you know and it's just studying like eurocentric work and um yeah it it can be hard to engage people especially like (laughs) yeah it's just hard to engage people on art when you only focus on one culture you know because the, the biggest reality is like art is across all the cultures but they often treat it like this is the foundation of good real art This is going to be a stupid question, but it just made me think. I wonder how art history classes at HBCUs are. Yeah. They, uh, I don't think that's a so stupid question. I, yeah, it's no, not like a, it just came to- So I'm going to say there there definitely are. Oh, wait. You, okay, you can't answer this. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't take any, I didn't take any art history classes at uh, Texas Southern. Mm-hmm. Um, because my first year. They have a yeah. great art program. They do. They do now. And they have way in the past but there were some years in the early 2000s <laughs> where it's kind of like this who the fuck y'all got like <laughs> this is some bullshit and some of that might be fueled by my if own if you listen to our very first episode you know exactly what Mark's talking about down. so <laughs> I go into class um, and I'm like shit I can draw this shit will be easy it'll be cake mm-hmm. first assignment figure out a way to relate he puts a wash basin on the middle of, uh, in the middle of the classroom, right? What's a wash basin? Like a big, the big <laughs> <laughs> fucking shit. <laughs> Children, like a yeah, sink. Man, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, like Mark's having a moment right now. Yeah. I wish like, it was gonna happen. Like I feel, I feel like somebody's grandfather. And explain was like, to us what, what I, I know what a wash basin here? is, but go ahead oh and explain to us, Papa. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. I hope when you're walking down them stairs, you trip. I probably skin will. Skin your chin on the ground. Oh, shit. <laughs> I've fallen down those stairs before. It hurt. But no, a wash basin is like a laundry basket that's closed and usually metal. So like the way that they wash clothes before, before there were washing machines mm. was in this big metal, usually either oval or circle um, drum, basically, that's a little bit shorter so you can reach inside of it and a washing board. So he put that in the washing board up on the pedestal for us to draw. And he was like, I don't want you to draw this specifically. I want you to relate this to life now and create a full composition from it. I was like, all right, cool. What am I going to do? Simple. I taught myself how to draw with using graffiti. Like Mm -hmm. that's where I started. I love that shit. So I took a Kenmore washing machine. Like I did basically a diptych, um, a Kimmore washing machine on one side in the basement with like a skateboard and a basketball in front of it. Over the top, I wrote new school and graffiti on the other side, which now that I think of my choice of lettering is like, what the fuck? But anyway, um, I drew like, a basically like a, 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 a row house community. And you know how usually there's the the communal courtyard in the back? Mm-hmm. Same as I have at Project Row House, actually. Um, so I did that with a wash basin and a washing board in it. Uh, clothes lines, all that. And I put old school in old English letters. So original. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't original, but it was it was very nicely drawn. 
right? There was the contrast. Everything that he asked me for was there. Mm-hmm. He gave me a D because I put graffiti in it and said graffiti has no place in his classroom. Mm. Next assignment, he said, I want everybody to pick a piece of fruit. Fucking 19 years old. He told me to take a piece of fruit and relate it to a woman. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, okay, sure. This is going to be fun. So I took my friend's calendar and drew this woman with this very curvy body in a bikini that had pears on it. Again, not very original, but it looked fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Took it to class. Everybody's like, oh, my God, that's so nice. That's so nice. He gives me a D because he said I objectified women. And this is like, hmm. you didn't really give me any guidelines. You just told me what to draw. So I did that shit. Cool. Yeah. And I'm 19. I'm sorry. I was not a feminist at 19. I just wasn't. Right. <laughs> what what you're talking about is definitely, I think, a lot of people's experience with mm-hmm. art. Um, because a lot of people don't become artists because people tell them in the beginning, like, you're not going to make any money. Then when you go into art classes, people, art teachers specifically tell you what to make and how to make mm-hmm. it. Um, Based on the shit that they've made that hasn't been nearly as successful as they'd hoped. What yeah. did Hodge say? <laughs> he's, he's like, show me what you've done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was talking about art critics. Because we asked him a question like, what do you think? Like, do you care much for what other people think about your work? He's like, fuck no. Especially if you're a critic. If you're a critic, fuck you. What have you done? Like, I'm doing this shit. What the fuck have you done? Show me your work. Show me your shows. (laughs) And that's that's the whole thing. You know, it's like people, traditionalists are are really hard to relate to, like Mm -hmm. are really hard to relate to, especially because it's like. The gallery, museum, institution system was around way before the internet and has not changed much since then. It is not. Where youth culture, everyday life and everything has changed dramatically, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, I've had conversations with artists that are like, um, you know, I can sell work on Instagram. Like I can, I can, you know, put together my own shows. Like putting together your own exhibition really is not that hard, especially because I think like, you know, the same way I'm using alternative spaces, the same way my friend Amy's using alternative spaces to put together concerts and everything. Like, really, anyone can do that. Not yeah. everyone has a skill set to do it. But what I'm saying is, like, artists don't need galleries and museums mm-hmm. and traditional institutions in the same way that they yeah. used to. Because yeah. there wasn't access in any way, shape, or form yeah. other than those institutions. Well, a lot of times we're looking for the blueprint. We're looking for the way in which we can use this shit to our advantage, but we're not looking at how we can tailor it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, so a lot of times it's like, oh, well, I can create this website that does this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And it's like, there are already a shitload of those resources out there. Mm-hmm. Figure out a way to use those well, to maximize your situation. Yeah. Don't do that, you yeah, know, but at the same time, like, you know, your experience with um, the drawing class and the professor, yeah. like really trying to constantly change you I, I, that that's really sad and unfortunate really to hear. It's yeah. like, you know, obviously telling the story back, it's like funny, like, you know, the bikinis and the pears and yeah. just like, well, you just did it wrong. You know, um, yeah. that, that relationship can be really destructive to creativity. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced it not necessarily with art, but just with like work in general, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. little direction, but horror, like intense criticism. Yeah. You know, it's like, I did what you asked, but obviously you yeah. had some, you wanted something specific. Yeah. And really, you know, you also wonder, it's like, was he targeting you? 
Like, because it's just yeah. like, why? You know, yeah. you, like you said, you did everything. They well, asked. after that second assignment, I dropped the class and stopped doing work for eight years. Well, that's, so. what I, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Like, it's sad to hear because it's just like yeah. people in this industry don't always care about the art. And that's what mm-hmm. I was kind of saying. It's like a lot of the art world has nothing to do with the actual art. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it, sometimes it's like you can look at work and be repulsed by it and it's the most expensive thing in the room. You know, um, I've had a lot of strange moments, but, um, you know, when I first started in the arts community, uh, I, I just hated those moments where it's like people are talking over your head or they're trying to name drop. So just, and you feel stupid, Yeah. you know, and that's really why I try not to yeah. do that ever, yeah. you know? And if I do introduce a new concept into a conversation, like I always explain it, yeah. you know, because, because I hated that moment yeah. of just like not knowing. And then people that just try to use their education or their pedigree, like, um, to, diminish your experience yeah. right and your your value to the arts community yeah. and that's really what it is it's like even though i didn't know anything having you know a young black woman behind this programming like really trying to push a mission that a lot of people can get behind like there's value there and yeah. like keeping my head up like there was value in keeping your head up and really you know graffiti as a form of art i can't I don't want to say like, oh, I can't speak on that. I think I definitely believe it is yeah. art. Um, but I think that, you know, part of it is about understanding who you're working with. So it's yeah. like, had you like had any kind of context as to yeah. what kind of an artist this man was like, you know, you could have probably saved yourself some, yeah. some, some, you know, discomfort in it's that funny experience. Cause but, since then, like I've realized like, oh, okay. He's a relatively accomplished artist, but his work is super fucking derivative. Like, just as derivative as most of the people that you see doing this Basquiat offshoot shit. Mm-hmm. But his was, he was a disciple of, uh, <laughs> she laughs at me every time I say that shit. But I'm sure you've seen it like a million times. Right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like it's terrible. But no, he was a, he was Mark. a, what? No, back on track. You you have to find your own voice, man. You have to, you have to, you have to. It's Mm -hmm. imperative that you find your own voice because everybody's telling the same stories from different perspectives. So you have to find your authentic voice. If you don't have your authentic voice, you're not going to be heard. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So if you're steadily looking, watching Radiant Child every other fucking day, watching how Jean-Michel holds his fucking oil sticks, like, get the fuck out of here. Like, that's not... That's yeah. not going to get it. Like, you have to be you. Figure out a way to be the most you you can be. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just... And it's it's not really a knock to those people. It's a knock to what they're doing. Like, I don't have nothing against you. I love that you're creating art. I hate that you're fucking creating derivative art. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, But no, he was a disciple of John Biggers. And Biggers is fucking dope as shit. Yeah. Right? But like... Again, when you see derivative work, it's kind of like, come the fuck on. Who are you? Like, yes, you're skilled. Yes, this is cool. But who are you as an artist? A lot of artists struggle to get away from their mentor, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because they learn it and they see like, oh, that works. Mm -hmm. And I'm making this a little bit different, but originality is hard to come by. Being you is something that's not fashionable right now. Um, you know, and I think that that is 
really the nature behind my success and failures is like i am always india lovejoy you know yeah and i and i really believe in my own personal brand um and and by that i just mean like that idea of like fate like i know that i don't always know where i'm going but i know i'm going somewhere and it's gonna be good you know and it might take a really long time but i i listen to this like book my mom sent it to me it's it's called the art of war or sorry Art and fear. You, you ever heard of that? Uh, no, it's the War of Art. Oh, the war Sorry, of art. the War of Art, and um, it's just a, a, a Bible about becoming a militant artist. Mm-hmm. And part of that means like you have to be comfortable with being miserable, you know. And they really related that to um, what was it, the Marines, I think. And it's just like they. their existence it's never about like having super lavish meals or it's never about like having the most comfortable bed it's about staying on task you know so it's like as an artist you know you may never sell something that does not mean your work is not worth something Mm -hmm. i mean there's a thousand different examples of that you know artists that never sold in their lifetime some of them are very cliche so they're not worth mentioning but um you know being yourself as an artist, as a creative in general, just as an independent, you know, it's the only thing that will save you in this game, yeah. period. Because if, you, if you're trying to put on for people, you know, it's like what I, what I was saying about your teacher. It's like if you had a little more context as to like how he was, yeah. you know, you could have saved yourself some grief. Yeah, and and sure. so it's like as a dealer, I, I also have to do that. You know, I have to know how to be highly adaptive yeah. to different collectors, different environments, events, yeah. artists, whatever, and, and how to engage them properly. Yeah. But being adaptive is not the same thing as being like two-faced or a chameleon yeah. or something you know it's like i know how to get in where i fit in but i also know where i don't fit in yeah and and so i i think artists also have to master that i yeah. mean these days you just can't have good work you know you no. need a lot more than that like you have to have an idea behind sales i mean i just feel like the stories of artists that don't have to do it all you know it's like you know what they say about black people it's like oh you have to try 110 percent harder that's it it's Mm -hmm. like as an artist in 2018 you have to try 110 percent harder Mm -hmm. than ever before because like i said that access instagram images lose their value and that's really what i'm talking about like the art on the wall is not always what's important when it comes to having a successful career like what it looks like you know, it has to mean something to someone, yeah. right? Like someone's going to identify with it. And then that might be the right person that sets yeah. up your whole career. But um, other than that, you know, staying authentic and and understanding context, like these are all things that make the difference between a good artist that just makes art, you know, and yeah. doesn't really have a yeah. career and a great artist that makes work in the career is just going to come yeah. because the more you are yourself, the more people respond to that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was a tangent, but no, I, that, I, spent, I spent a couple like <laughs> ideas in there. But mm-hmm. really, in my own practice, like it's always about staying true to India and in in Black Buddha, the agency, and my true goal with artists in my practice. Like that's what mattered to me. That's why I left the union. You know, it no longer fit the vision. Yeah, because it it was a a drain yeah. on the vision. Yeah. Um, and not because the space wasn't great, not because the artists didn't love it. A lot of people are really sad to hear about that. Um, but the space still exists, you know, yeah. like yeah, that yeah. is what I did. I made that space a space for arts and, and public programming. Yeah. And, and, you know, even though it's being operated by someone else now, it was 
started with Black Buddha. You know, the reason yeah. why people know about it is because like the space that I made there. And that's like something that I can do in any space. I realized yeah. that as soon as I started on that project, I was like, oh, damn, this is highly repeatable. You know, and that mm -hmm. that's that's a ingredient for success is like, can you repeat this over yeah. and over and over again? Um and I can. Alternative space making is definitely something I'm passionate about. Yeah. And um, and that's why it's like with collaborations, mm -hmm. you know, I have to stay true to me. And me is not someone who just is so desperate to work with someone that I'll just do anything. You know, I'd literally yeah. rather be doing nothing than working on something that's wasting my time. Yeah. I'd rather just waste my own time than have someone waste my time, yeah. you know, because mm -hmm. um, it's just like, what's the point of the energy of, of exerting the energy? Because it's just like you're not even serious about your own mission. Yeah. And you're trying to work with me and we don't have any overlapping anything. So, yeah, that, but that's yeah. being true to me. Like, and um, as an artist, it that can be a hard line, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm being true to me. Like, I only make this kind of art and I'm not going to yeah. listen to this bullshit. Like, what I was saying before is you do need to listen to the bullshit. You don't have to bring it into practice. Yeah. But if you don't know what your peers know, and you're yeah. trying to operate and execute and supersede them, yeah. you're uninformed. Like, there's no business model yeah. where you don't need to know things about your competitors. Well, but that's you know? the, I'm sorry, but that that's the thing. Like, we have to, like, as artists, we have to think about it from both ways. Yeah. Right? And even for you, you have to think about it from the artist's perspective and from your perspective, mm -hmm. right? Because as artists, the fact of the matter is, like, we have to understand trends. Mm -hmm. We have to understand like what people like we don't have to accept all that shit we don't have to make that you know our we don't have to let that completely transform our practice but it it should influence in some ways some somehow or another like right now like figurative art for people of color is like fucking insane right now mm -hmm. like there are a million and one new figurative artists but the ones that are like kind of breaking through there is that something special to it, right? So Amy Sherrill, like, well, I will say with Amy Sherrill and with Carrie James Marshall, the monochromatics that they use in the figure, like, they're different. They're beautiful, right? They they show something different, but they both show them in different ways. Yeah. And then everything else to follow is also different, right? Carrie James Marshall is painting full scenes, like, Amy Sherald is really focused on the figure and that's it. Like isolating the figure, showing you the figure in kind of in the same vein of, uh, Barkley Hendricks. Right. Mm -hmm. But of course she's, she differs from him, right? Like everyone has to find that thing that works for you and then push the fuck out of it. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and I think it's also, you know, I feel I am just such a huge believer in it. It's like the artist makes the art and the art doesn't make the artist you mm -hmm. know um and so when you talk about derivative work that's an artist that's trying to make the art make the artist yeah. you know and not an artist who's making the art yeah. um it's like kind of a tongue twister but it's like it's artists that have diligent work ethics succeed yeah. Yeah. You know, artists that understand this is a career choice just mm -hmm. because you're making art 
and people in other industries are going to refer to it as like fun and easy and whatever. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's hard work. It is. And you, you do it have is. to accept that like staying true to yourself and like becoming a militant artist is, you know, yeah, know the trends, but also know your message. Yeah. You have to have a mission behind your practice. Like, what are you trying to bring to the table? What are you bringing to the table? Artists aren't super used to asking themselves those questions you know, and, and treating themselves as an independent business. And it's like, what is the product that you're selling? Or maybe you're not thinking about it like that. And that's fine. Yeah. You know, you might have a deeper connection to what you're putting on the table. But, yeah. you know, staying informed in the art world. Some artists will tell me, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to like, if I look at too much other art, like it can become too influential. But, you know, okay, that's fine. But you should look at artist CDs. Yeah. You yeah. know, you should follow spaces. You should Read know curators. Yeah. You know, you should know the industry that is going mm -hmm. to perpetuate you, allow you to live yeah. off of your practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, you have to just find what works yeah. for you. But you have to understand what reality is as well. Right. Because sometimes we get so wrapped up in <laughs> in emotion that artists price their work at exorbitant prices that they've never sold even a fraction of. Mm -hmm. If your highest selling piece is $300, don't price something for 12.5. Like that mm -hmm. shit's just not like the chances of that happening are kind of slim. Like you kind of have to I I I have a that's not necessarily true because if you're an informed artist and you have a piece at that price, mm -hmm. find out who will buy that work? Because there if is you're someone an that will. Artist. You know, that's the thing. It's like artists do price the record crazy amounts, and and pricing is a, a tough subject when you're it dealing is. with artists that have sold their work independently. And you know, I I feel like I've never been in a position to tell an artist to reduce the price. What I will do is just not show it or sell it or work with that artist. You know, because yeah. it's like you're confused. This conversation is just not going to go well. Yeah, yeah, but if it's like I'm seeing great work, like a lot of promise, yeah. maybe you have never sold it for that much, but depending yeah. on how you present it, depending on who you present yeah. it to, the price is not necessarily wrong. Yeah, you but know what generally, I mean? generally though, the artist that's ba that's basing price off of emotion is not necessarily an informed artist. Yeah. Yeah, so, the, well, <laughs> and that's I mean, kind of what I was speaking to. And, but there are times where that is, there, there are exceptions to every rule. Absolutely. Well, I you agree. know, Angebert, um, that guy. His, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> his, like, this is like the infamous story. Like, one of the first things I had heard coming to Project Row Houses was that he sold his first piece at 16 for 10,000. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that story. In the context of everything we're talking about, what is that? You know, yeah. um, and and that model is hard to repeat, yeah. but it was a classic case of having your work seen by the right person. Yeah. You know, having the right space. Like he's, you know, was mentored by Jesse. Um, so also, you know, a hyper intellectual who yeah. who was willing to learn from people that mm -hmm. could really teach him and and was able to come away from the mentor. So it's like his artistic voice is very different than Jesse's, you know, but yeah. a lot of the ideologies and practices yeah. are totally parallel. I'm not going to um, lie. I don't really understand Angel Bear's work, but I know he is brilliant. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. But, um, you know, just in the relation of like artists and pricing, like I think he knew from the beginning that that it was that value. Yeah. You know, that's why it's like for me, who am I to tell you that it's not there? Because like I said, sometimes it's not always what it looks like, you know, like bad work could still be worth millions one day, depending on how diligent the artist is about their practice. And so it's fairly simple to identify a serious yeah. artist from a hobby artist or whatever um and that's when i just like you know have to roll my eyes like i take the business card and move on with my life yeah because it's just like you don't even understand a basic interaction because it's like if i'm trying to get a job from someone i want their information because it's my job to follow up and get yeah. that job you yeah. know like they didn't offer me a job i'm trying to build that relationship yeah. you know it's mm-hmm. like that's my job so informed artists understand that um anyways yeah pricing pricing has always been a a, a, a hard thing yeah but i under, i have a much deeper understanding of it now um and you know the jay-z said it said the price and live your life you know yeah. like i have to go through that too it's like yeah. i you know i will charge the same as someone who's been doing it way longer than me but i can't i can't afford to just reduce my price because I'm new to things, you know, it's like, this is just the value and maybe I'm learning, but I'm a way faster learner than someone, you know, it's like, yeah, just because they've been doing it forever doesn't mean they're They're as informed. Yeah. Doesn't mean (laughs) that they're good at it. That's the other thing. So, you know, there, there's a lot behind the pricing of art and really once you get into like the work, you know, for tens of thousands of dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars and beyond, that's a totally different world. Um, my realm is definitely not there. It's yeah. a lot more ground, but it's also, you know, this is year two, I guess. It's a year and a half into Black Buddha, point. but you yeah. know, the, the biggest reality is the in the beginning, it was just so far and dispersed. So it's like officially, I feel like Black Buddha, well, I filed my LLC um, at the start of this year. So officially, you know, this is like the founding year and the beginning so it hasn't even been one year like the agency being formally in existence so but i mean i've learned so much it's crazy and even now you know it's interesting like even when you know you approach me or other artists approach me and just people ask me for things it's like weird i'm like i guess i do know stuff you know like (laughs) it's just weird because it all happens so fast like for me it's absolutely crazy that it's december and i know everyone always says that but it's just like the time by like yeah. i literally feel like i would just did my last show a month ago you know but it's just been in and out in and out um damn i totally forgot like <laughs> my bad we've been talking i no, told y'all I, I mean i talk a lot like, like never again india talks way too much <laughs> so have you thought about what you want your legacy to be for black buddha or for india lovejoy uh yeah i did in the beginning a lot and Rick was like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, that's not how you build a legacy is by intending to build a legacy, you mm-hmm. know? And it, it's really about how you live your life that makes your legacy. Um, so to be honest, I don't know what my legacy will be, but I know what my immediate mission is. And that is, you know, to become the Swiss Army knife for artists, to be an advocate for you know, artist-centric programming to mm-hmm. allow young people to learn about art collecting, to become excited about art collecting, and not necessarily young people. My audience range, 
is somewhere between like 28 to 45 for mm-hmm. the most part and then there's like outliers um some bigger than others but you know early early collecting that's definitely something i'm really interested in space yeah. making place making um yeah. you know giving people a different kind of experience when it comes to events and coming together yeah. working i don't know i i have a lot to understand and i have so much more to learn um so yeah no i'm definitely not in a position to say like this will be my legacy mm. i don't know i might create something next year that totally changes everything that I believe. You know, I might come into a new opportunity that gives me a huge, like, the way my vision and understanding of what I want to do works, it's a lot like a rubber band, you know, because it starts with a specific thing like the union. Uh, Well, actually, no. It started with, you know, these tiny events that I was putting together in different spaces around the city. I only really got like three shows under my belt before the union was a thing. Um, But it started really small. And then it was like, oh, now I've got this building. We've got a sound system, parking lot. You know, it's beautiful. Okay, well, now the vision's this big, you know. And then it's like, Rick is like, you never needed a space. Now the vision's this big, you know. And it's like crazy how it's like each new thing really changes the way I consider what I'm supposed to be doing. As I try to understand, it's like, how is India Lovejoy remembered? How is Black Buddha, you know? um, I want to... Petrified? Is that the right word? No. Like, you know, like, how does it... No, that's like burnt. (laughs) Anyways, um, the point is, is how how is it remembered? How is it written about? How does it live forever? Um, You know, is, is to be determined. Because I think that it would be a bad thing if Black Buddha looks the same in 2019 as it does in 2040, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. um, and so that's something that only time can tell. Like I said, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do now. I know I'm going somewhere. Not quite sure exactly where that is, especially because I have like such a disdain for certain type of spaces, mm-hmm. you know, like ideally as an art dealer yeah as an art dealer you know a great successful career is like when i'm working at a blue chip gallery and only making sales that start at 50 g's like that would be the ideal scenario but for me that is not what i want right um so it's like how do i develop my practice that continues to generate more income but doesn't change you know but but it's changing it's like that's I have a lot to understand about myself um, as a young adult, um, as a business owner, as an arts advocate. And, you know, it, it'll reveal itself to me with time. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to do what I do, whatever it is. I'm, I'm definitely a passionate person just about being present yeah. and being a helping hand, like just answering questions. Like I really love it when people ask me dumb art questions because I had to ask those questions, you know, and I literally had people refuse to answer them. Like on some, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, well, I don't, you know, well, you know, it's like, I, I had asked someone once to like walk me through a show and, and just like talk to me about the relevance of this piece to the culture or whatever. And they're like, originally agreed but then later came back with like 
you know, like I had to go to a lot of school to understand this. I don't really think that I can do this, you know, and, yeah. and really that was total bullshit. You just didn't want to share what you knew with me because then yeah what i get a free class like what do you do i need to pay tuition for you to tell me you know there was just no reason to withhold that kind of information and it's just like those are the moments that are like no Mm -hmm. not only do i need to find this information myself i also need to just like that i mean that's why i started interviewing artists artists do not withhold information unless it's like within other artists you're like well, that's my collector. Who knows? You know, I don't, yeah. the artist artist relationship, I'll never understand. Um, but you know, it's funny. Like, Rebea is like, you're one of us, but you're not. You know, it's great. Mm-hmm. Like, but that's why yeah. I do have like such a good relationship with all my artists, you know, because they, even though I was new and there was literally no reason to trust me with all the work, they all did because I always, I'm always like, the art the artist comes before the artwork for me mm-hmm. you know in that relationship if i can't work with you i can't work with your art mm-hmm. um and that's just been my model so um yeah you know i information dumb art questions everything that's what i want people to remember about me it's like creating a space where you just feel free to ask any question yeah even if it's just like why is it priced like this you know and mm-hmm. that's a question that i've answered several times but you have to ask it to understand, yeah. you know, um, and and I want I really encourage people to ask me questions. And if they're not asking questions, I start to ask questions yeah. for them. And then they start asking questions. Yeah, that's how I create the informed collector. That's how I create someone excited about trying to collect. Maybe it's like you don't have the money, but you can yeah you, you once you have the knowledge you once you have the money you have the knowledge already you know yeah so it, it's not always about the sale it's it's about the the spreading of information because yeah. at least then you one day in the future can raise your kids understanding what art buying is you know even Absolutely. if you don't buy or maybe Absolutely. you only ever buy one piece or something but you can still share that information yeah mm-hmm. and i think it's dope because you are creating the opportunity well let me say there's a lot of overlap and we kind of touched on this when we talked Mm. the other night but there's a lot of overlap in like missions right like your mission with black buddha and our mission with the podcast like creating these spaces where people feel comfortable to ask these questions so that they can grow so they can help keep this art thing going Mm -hmm. right and and keep it going in a way that feels authentic and connected to the people Right. Because a lot of this shit, like you have to conform, you have to know all this different shit, like (laughs) in order to fit into the quote unquote real art world. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of 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 making sure that we're continuing to to push that and push that agenda. I like that because that's what they always say in politics. Um, but, (laughs) but making sure that we're, we're furthering, you know, the the reach of art especially amongst um people of color um i I think that's extremely important to Mm -hmm. give us those same opportunities that have been that we've been excluded from yeah yeah Yeah. so um with that said hey we're gonna collab sis Uh, (laughs) let's do some work (laughs) let's work let's work (laughs) but where can our um listeners find you and your Uh, creative agency 
Uh, I'm most active on Instagram. I've definitely been uh, on a hiatus as I've been getting ready for next year, but there's going to be a lot more activity starting next year. Um, okay. A lot of it's you're going to see projects with Hodge and other artists who I'm really excited to introduce to everyone. Okay. Um, and really, it'll be a reintroduction, but a new way that we'll be working together. Uh, but yeah, Instagram, Black Buddha Baby, you know, otherwise you can send me an email, India Black Agency. Uh, no.com then yeah really that's it I love Instagram it works for me mm-hmm. you know yeah. and it works for my audience and other than that you know I really just I have a yeah. pretty extensive mailing list and I always post flyers and share with people straight up so the word is always going to get spread somehow but Instagram's a good way um, you know follow to get that notification for that mm-hmm. first step and touch point for 2019, it's definitely going to be a new path for me. I'll, and I'll still be learning, but it's, you know, after a lot of experiences that have all been extremely valuable, rare gems, like even, you know, my my origin story <laughs> with becoming myself, that that was just a moment of ownership. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you become yourself, you also learn who yeah. you are and like what you're really trying to do. So you know, I'm excited just to keep, you know, putting myself out there and to keep trying to be an advocate for the arts community. But, um, you know, I'm really curious to see what that legacy will be like, what I do. So, yeah, Instagram, you know, we'll see. I look forward to working with you. Now, yeah. now, now that I know what you do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I want to be a collector. I yeah. want to. So, and I mean that I wasn't, even though I was Making I understood yeah. totally, I mean, but yeah, I know I, I love what y'all are doing. So I just want to, you know, say thank you for including me, but yeah. also for pushing the culture just in general, because um, meaningful moments are, are rare and yeah. it's cool. Y'all are capturing them. I mean, even just the artists that you have interviewed thus far, you know, yeah. uh, people that I really respect a lot. So just the yeah. fact that y'all see that. Um, That's what a I lot. told Mark. I was like, we're in our first season and like our guest list is pretty fucking hot. Like, yeah. yeah. Ex- yeah, extremely. It is, it is. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm very, very proud. We we still got four-ish? Three. 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 Yeah. Still got three more episodes before we wrap up our season one, but I feel really good about it. I feel really good about it. I feel, I feel good about it on a lot of different levels, and I think one of those levels is what we've been able to offer people. Yeah. Right? Because our friends who know nothing about art. Yeah. <laughs> they may have been to the MFA like three or four times. And most of those were probably to mixers and elixirs, um, <laughs> which no shade, great fucking events. Um, but like, you know, they've, they've reached out and be like, yo, this shit is dope. Yo, who is that? Somebody hit me up today and was like, yo, Dawn's work is fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm about to buy that shit. We just got to decide which piece. And I'm like, yo, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. Right. Or like, yo, I have never seen this artist before. Like, that shit is amazing. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Because most of these people are people that I fucking know. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, and you know, honestly, I think that this podcast is a huge resource to artists themselves. Yeah. Um, that's something that I learned early on. Whenever you put collectors in a position mm-hmm. to talk about why they collect or when you talk about artists and their experience with their career, mm-hmm. artists are the ones that are most hungry for that information. Yeah. Like something we did at um, the Collectors Club last little story um was collector conversations and we would yeah. invite like really established collectors in the city who you know collect work on a major scale um you know we 
we would bring them in and we do a Q and A. Yeah. And artists were always the first ones through yeah. the door because they were just so like hungry to find mm-hmm. out like why do you collect? How do you collect? Like how do I get in front yeah. of you? You know. And so, um, yeah. No, I think that the, the podcast thing. is great. And now it I a have thing. a new vision for my vision board. It is I want, a thing. I want. It I is want. A thing. I want to be that. I want that. I want that thing. Yeah. The other. I mean, the other. The other side of that that's interesting that people don't really think about is that. Um, generally, and of course there are definitely outliers and there are different factors for every person, but a lot of black collectors collect differently than white collectors Yeah. in terms of like what draws them to the work. Mm -hmm. Like most of the time it's like, oh, I was fucking drawn to this work. Yeah. There are white collectors out there quite a bit that are like, they're chasing the check. So it's like, I'm collecting because I know this, this, and this, and this art sells like this. And this is, this is a very, and and it can, it can definitely vary, but there's a lot of like, oh, it's about where they're coming from. There's like, there's a lot of different contexts because when you're talking about people that are collecting for investment, they have art advisors, they have people that like buy work for for them. You know, the lesson that I was always given from white collectors was buy what you love. Um, one time I saw this piece of artwork and it was so ugly and disgusting. I, it repulsed me. Working. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you feel some shit, it is working. I think that's interesting. Because I told you, I've been casually collecting for maybe three or four years, but I just recently moved and it was the first time where I had to go into crates and I'm like, oh, should I have this? And I went back, I was like, why did I buy this? Because certain stuff I've bought at art shows that I've been at, I'm like, oh, you yeah. know, I can afford this. But I always looked and I was like, I started remembering what made me buy that because I'm not mm-hmm. rich by any stroke of the imagination. And I was like, oh, I, like, I remember the stories, either yeah. if I got to meet the artist or the connection that I had. And so when I look back at those pieces, I'm like, oh, I have a pretty fucking dope collection. Yeah. yeah. Even though I'm not in the same space, um, I'm in a different, what I'm looking for in the art that I'm buying now, yeah. going back to those original pieces, it's like, ah, I don't want to part with them. But yeah. they, they mean so much more. Art collecting is an addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's interesting because you don't have to be an artist to tell a story with your art. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what I find is the same. Yeah. Every piece that I have has a personal story yes. to me. You know, and that's the thing. It's like, I bought a piece by this artist and I loved it. I was like, had that visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. After I bought it, all these people are like, oh, is that so-and-so? And had all this shit to say about this artist. I'm like, damn. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I love this piece and I don't care yeah. like what you're saying. Like, you know, there's, I mean, especially in the age of like Me Too and everything. It's like, oh, the art from the artist. Like, they're not separate. But your art collection is yours. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it becomes part of your story and the emotion that you experience oh, yeah. with that. You know, it's like, I'm not going to like get rid of the piece now. It yeah. sucks that like it brings up weird conversations, <laughs> like yeah. when people see, yeah. see it. Yeah. But um, the the point is that your art collection definitely becomes your own story, and yeah. and that's the beautiful thing that you know people don't really understand yeah. until you know it. And mm. and that's uh, Judy Nyquist said this to me. She's like, art is the worst kind of addiction, yeah. you know, because it is. It's so addictive. You can't stop buying it once you know how. What did I tell? And I like, what you it like, adds to your life. I was like, I need to find out how to make more money so I can buy more art. And I was like, who the fuck am I? <laughs> Never thought that would be That's my thing. But if there was, do, a, yeah. I was like, ah, I want that piece. And it because would be, you know what it feels like to yeah. live with it yes. and to see it and to have that story and to have that 
piece of someone mm. you know there's rare opportunities where you can experience like the intimacy of like yeah. keeping a piece of someone's soul yeah. on your wall yeah. you know because artists really give a lot to to create that work and you know and Blood, in some cases in some cases you know they're homeless yeah. just to create this yeah. piece of art yeah. you yeah. know and and that's how much it means to yeah. them and when you purchase work you become part of that story too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like your collection adds can add value to that piece. The reason why you mm -hmm. bought that work can add value to that piece, right? Mm -hmm. So when we like in art history, when you're going through all these stories and shit like that, and you're looking at all these pieces, it's like for me, a lot of the the very Eurocentric art. I'm like, man, this shit. I mean, it's cool. It don't even. But slap. it ain't, it ain't speaking to me. Yeah, yeah. Basically, really basically, that shit don't slap, man. Get that shit out of my face. Yeah. Nigga, that shit ain't dope. <laughs> but but what is dope is like is like this king bought this piece of work because of X Y Z yeah. or this work was commissioned because of this mm. this this and this. That story becomes part of that value. Yeah. Right. So imagine years down the line, mm -hmm. Raquel bought this work because of X Y Z, and then it that. changed hands to such and such. Like yeah, that's. That's the shit. I was, um, there's this <laughs> yeah. artist that I, I engage with on Instagram and I brought a lot of her work. Some of my earlier purchases where I was like, you know, I don't know anything yeah. about it, but I like this. Um, I reached out to her because she, she moved into, she made holiday cards with character. She has a very unique style. And she's like, oh, you know, it's this character. Her name's Katrina Long. Katrina. Um, I believe okay. on Instagram, she's throwed out Barbie, but oh, okay. I, um, I, I really, I really else. love her, um, her work. And so every time I'd see someone I'm like, ah, I connect to this piece. And so over the years, I have several of her pieces. So when I moved, I had to wrap them because they were like displayed. And I text, I messaged her. I was like, hey, I got my greeting cards. Really love them. Um, I think I'm going to frame one of them so that I can continue my little family. Because they're all different variations of characters mm -hmm. from her world. And she's like, yeah, I actually think you might have the largest collection of my originals. And I was like, get the fuck. I, I have like yeah. five or six pieces of it. But <laughs> she was like, you know, she's got lots of different collectors. She's like, but you been very intentional of what you're building up and i i never displayed the work mm -hmm. in one setting because it's all over my house like it might be on a bookshelf yeah. but when i looked i was like i have a bunch of originals and they're all very she has a very distinct style and i was like hmm and so now i have like that collection means a little bit more to me and i'm yeah. like I, I need to do something more um intentional with it so i've been buying her work when i see it i'm like okay can i afford this piece and her work's gone up in price, which I'm like, oh, that makes me feel, <laughs> that makes me feel really good because I got, I got in early. Yeah. I, I fucked with the vision and was like, let me, you know, support living artists. That's always been my thing. Hey, bro, is like, I fuck hey. with the movement. Yeah, but, but um, <laughs> shout work. out, yeah, <laughs> shout out to Katrina. Um, but no, it was one of those things that started when you start you my being intentional <laughs> with your. <laughs> Sorry. It's when you start being intentional and I'm still learning I learned a lot from uh, Hodge just from last week about being intentional yeah. with the collection but I had never made a catalog and that was one of the things we talked about mm -hmm. until she mentioned how much of her work that I've bought I didn't realize how much of her work that I had because it's been over it's one off pieces so no that's definitely a collector's tip 101 like keep a collection like you should know the titles of mm -hmm. your piece like you should know yeah. like when it was made like yeah. just buying it's step one but you know, being the preserver of that artist's legacy, that mm -hmm. piece of them, it requires, you know, just a little bit of documentation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it might not be worth anything or it might be, but your actual catalog mm -hmm. 
can actually become worth something just you as a collector you know your collecting document is also a piece of value you know like learn that on fake or fortune even if it's obscure (laughs) shit that like nobody's interested in Mm -hmm. the fact that you have a large collection of that shit it's like yo what the fuck it becomes a different kind of collectible Yeah. yeah exactly you know so that was some of the early research that i did too it's like how to collect art yeah and there was something on there like keeping show catalogs or like asking an artist to sign the show catalog certain little things are really interesting but when you see vintage show catalogs or like cat mm-hmm. just in, really anything you know for an artist's career it's always interesting like those price points or you know that language and you yeah. can see how someone's yeah. career has really grown and changed so yeah the it you never really understand how how you're an, affecting an artist yeah. when you collect their work but um you know, you can understand yeah. how how you can just really just create a well-rounded story around your own collection. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, collectors are, are definitely interesting. They're all different kinds, shapes, and forms. Is that Barbie? Yeah. Right yeah. Out Barbie? Check it out. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, you know, like there, there are the other things that I find interesting that like, uh, kind of the question one of the questions that you asked Hodge Raquel is like what like if an artist creates a limited edition print they sell out of that limited edition print and then they're like uh fuck it I'm gonna make this shit again but your shit is still part of the first edition of those limited edition prints so even if the work appreciates in value and it's almost as though that shit kind of depreciates because there are several copies mm-hmm. the first editions will be worth more than the second editions. So it's like, there's a story there. And then again, as those start to disappear, mm-hmm. as art does from time to time, like ceases to exist and shit, then... Usually house fires. <laughs> yeah, house fires <laughs> and, and natural disasters and shit like that. But yeah, that starts to appreciate in value. So it's like, you know, there's there's a bunch of different shit that goes into it. Or if it's like, this, is, this wasn't really a an important work from this artist but it survived a massive flood that it was and it was like oh shit somebody yeah. like, oh fuck I want that yeah I'll give you fifty thousand dollars it's a twenty five dollar piece like what the fuck? <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter it doesn't matter stories right? are important yeah I mean all back to driving home my point a lot of what's yeah. moving in the art world is not what's on the walls it's the narratives. you know it's the narratives yeah. it's the emotions it's the 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 careers the yeah. stories the things that all happen outside of those For spaces because sure. even as like as Carrie James Marshall's star continues to ascend that first piece that sold for millions that's going to be a story and that's going to make that piece more valuable than other pieces which is crazy to think about like mm-hmm. <laughs> like shit like just the fact that it was expensive is going to make it more expensive mm-hmm. yes it's the way this shit works great well, you know banksky's self-shredded piece they're like is it worth more, more yeah because it's shredded you know it's like those concepts are really interesting to yeah me, so. it's very interesting some of it some of it shit we about to start a whole nother show but i know i was gonna is, say like look you try to close off like I, y'all gotta watch me like because i'll just but keep some of this shit is funny though because some of it you you kind of sit back and you be like come on man y'all fell for the okie doke like the fact that the piece is shredded and now it's gonna be worth more like get the fuck out of here like that's you're kind of feeding into his whole fucking yeah. point of this shit like <laughs> but at the same time it's just yeah. kind of like hey if that's what you're gonna pay for it cool fuck it it's like, only <laughs> funny because it's true yeah you know true. what i mean like yeah. and that's 
artists should do more than create they should understand the game they're playing and yes. play it better yeah. you know and that's kind of a thing it's like oh you want to make a mockery of it well you're still getting this money yeah. you know it's um, a cycle of laughter because like yeah. i want to laugh at the people that buy like these damien hearst like formaldehyde animals yeah but it's like fuck when they sell that shit they're gonna get so much fucking money it's like fuck i can't laugh at you but you're probably laughing at the person that bought that shit from you like yeah. it's it's a very interesting thing it's a very interesting world very convoluted at times but guess what i don't want to be part of no other world so yeah exactly <laughs> it's what it is it's fun just understand it laugh at it and yeah. and really try just to understand keep it, it keep it moving yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep it moving set the price live your life you know and and stay informed stay yeah. alert be brave take risks like all yeah. those things i mean that's what that's the only thing that can help you in yeah. this world truly yeah absolutely and support absolutely. living artists mm-hmm. yeah. and with that before we run into a four-hour episode <laughs> of us sitting here at this table and talking and talking and talking and talking it's the tea no it's, not, it's caffeine free yeah no no it's at the uh, moment it's like oh, oh yeah. not, i mean but you know <laughs> cozy yeah i'm gonna be honest i can talk my ass off Mm-hmm. I've been talking on the table That's tonight. That's why you have a podcast. It is. It <laughs> I is. think I should get yeah. one, but it's just going to be me telling random stories about my life. Like, <laughs> people, there's an audience for it. Yeah. There, there, yeah, there is. There is. Like, there are strange podcasts out there. Some people might feel like this podcast is strange. Some yeah, podcasts. I was going to say, we, you can't say yeah. that, like, we don't have a niche yeah. podcast. Because we be talking shit. Yeah. But anyway, um, on behalf of myself, Mark Francis, and Raquel Simone. We want to thank India Lovejoy for joining us and thank you all for listening. Peace. Bye. Peace.